Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I have members of our Bridge Europe chapter here to talk about the current Russia and Ukraine conflict that's happening. As Bridge, we're lucky to be having international chapters that kind of help facilitate conversations internationally and across different cultural lines. With that, we also have the opportunity to be sharing perspectives of the current conflict as it is closer to home. Um, and we have members here with us who do have personal ties to the conflict. So with that, um, we're going to get started. Okay. Maybe I can go first. Uh, my name is Constantine. I'm German. And um... I'm currently doing my master's degree in international security at Sciences Po in Paris. I think I can go next. Uh, so hello, my name is Caterina and I'm from Italy, uh, but I'm currently doing my master's in the Netherlands, in The Hague, uh, in international relations and diplomacy. Yeah, I'm, I'm Vlad. I'm originally from Ukraine. I'm now in Germany. Um, I'm a member of British Europe. I'm managing the online chapter. And right now I'm a part of the of the organization which uh, coordinates the voluntary work and um, the humanitarian aid uh, to the refugees from Ukraine, as well as uh, uh, supplying the territorial defense forces of, uh, of Ukraine right now. So the first question I have you guys is pretty simple. How are you feeling right now? What is your opinion on this conflict? Um, I'll start with, uh, I think, a very simple answer that doesn't go too much into what I'm studying and all that we've been doing at university, uh, because in my studies, which is very much focused on diplomacy, we're told all the time to analyze what is going on and uh, sort of keep this very analytical perspective, but I just realized that I am very, very hit by the whole situation. I feel very concerned about the people, and it's really hard at times to just follow the developments sort of objectively without thinking about individuals there. It's very different when you're reading things on books and you're talking about diplomacy and about international relations and then when things are just happening before your eyes and it's not a very pleasant situation. Yeah, I'm also mostly shocked, I would say, um, especially kind of starting um, last week on Monday or Tuesday when Putin held the speech, it became very clear that this isn't about security concerns or um, a potential NATO membership of Ukraine. Um, it's really about his kind of fantasies of a great Russian empire mm -hmm. and his expansionist um, ideas. And that's obviously really threatening because in a way he doesn't seem to think about economic consequences or consequences that might come through sanctions, but he's just really driven by this idea that he wants to have his name in the Russian history books as someone that reunited a great Russian empire or whatever he imagines there. It's, it's very concerning because obviously Ukraine as a democratic state, also super close to all of us in Europe. Um, just being attacked is is just shocking to see. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't say that I have too much time for the feelings right now. I mean, I'm I, I'm getting asked this question quite a lot. I mean, at the moment we are really working. All the volunteers here in Europe are working really twenty four hours per per day, 
uh, trying to supply our military, trying to help the refugees, the displaced people. Mostly, uh, at first, at first, it was really uh, the shock and uh, a lot of yeah, a lot of fear for for the relatives and for the for the loved ones. But at the moment, like most most of them are uh, luckily in in more secure places. However, like many many friends are still in danger. I have uh, quite a lot of people fighting uh, in in the army or territorial defense forces. Like at this point, it's mostly anger and hate, pretty much. Um, but I mean, the you you have like at the moment we all kind of have to suppress like put put all feelings aside and just like work together to like keep keep things going. Kind of a follow up question for you, Vlad. What is it like watching this from afar? And also, have you heard from your family or? Yeah, it's not like it wasn't. It, it's not like it was something we didn't ex- expect. I mean, the, the Ukraine, Ukraine obviously was is was in in a state of war for like eight years. Conflict was uh, luckily localized. Basically, the full scale war only started last week. Uh, so it like the images of the my my hometown being bombed. Uh, those are those were obviously surreal surreal videos surreal scenes i think uh, i mean just just right now there are images coming in uh, of kiev being uh, rocket bombed by rockets uh yeah my my, my family is uh, now moving towards towards the west of ukraine they were they were they wanted to stay but they had to spend the whole uh the whole night yesterday in the basement so they decided to to move um uh eventually and they're now going uh to the to the western part where it's uh, still pretty uh pretty quiet yeah. yeah that's good to hear i'm glad they're doing okay and you do seem like at least outwardly you're holding it together pretty well but again i can't even imagine what you're feeling right now so i'm sorry yeah yeah as i as, as i said we're just we're just working and uh yeah it's 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 becoming uh, a lot more effective right now um yeah. and yeah. I think that's that's anyways one of the things that has impressed me the most over the last week, uh, the work of Ukrainians living abroad in other European countries. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely impressive. Also here in Paris, the protests they are organizing, the pressure they are putting on our politicians. And same thing in Germany. Um, I think yesterday there was a protest in Berlin with more than 100,000 uh, people yeah. on the streets up to 500,000, no one really knows the exact number. Today, there are 150,000 people on the streets in Cologne that instead of celebrating Carnival, which is in the city, the most important event of the year, are doing a peace march for, for Ukraine. And all these things are organized organized by Ukrainians that live abroad. Um, it's absolutely impressive. Yeah, I do. I, I I do agree. I just wanted to say, like, to add one one thing to that. I um, mean, the speech Putin held on on Monday, he was like, spe- he spent like uh, forty minutes decimating uh, the Ukrainian history, telling lies about like our non-existent culture, non-existent nation, and I think what what is happening right now is basically exactly uh, the opposite to what what he's saying. I mean. I knew pretty much no Ukrainians here here in Germany. Uh, like now, now I know at least like two hundred new people, and we're we're all working together. So that's that's actually exact opposite of what Putin was saying. So yeah, yeah. I'm curious, what do you guys think of President Zelensky's handling so far? Because I definitely agree. Just seeing like the morale behind the Ukrainian people is amazing. And I actually have gained so much respect for him as a leader, but I'm curious what you guys um, think as well. 
I, I, I would like to start maybe. I mean, I was I was pretty much the biggest opponent of him. I mean, I didn't like his his politics a lot. I was uh, I mean I, I I didn't regard him uh, in in any any way actually, but I think uh, right now he's exactly the leader that we need. Mm -hmm. uh, he's 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 showing the true leadership. He's basically I think uh, when when Kiev was bombed yesterday uh, yesterday night, uh, the Americans offered offered him a rescue uh, mission. Uh, but what he said is that we need ammunition and other ride, and he's uh, he's staying in the city with all. Uh, and by the way, with all the uh, with all the other uh, high high ranking officials, so basically everyone everyone is there, and he managed to unite everyone around the common goal, which is which is also very important because Ukraine. I mean, you have to understand that Ukraine is also a very politically divided uh, country, and uh, but right now pretty much everyone is go is working towards a common goal. And I think something very impressive that he's doing are really his appeals to the people. So uh, I was seeing some videos yesterday where he appealed in Russian to uh, Russians or in general, the way he just still trying to reach out to people wherever they are across countries is, is already a big, big action because even to just like these strong voices lifting up across Europe, I, I'm not sure like the effect that they can have, but they are already a huge so show of solidarity, like showing that we're all standing together against something which is really senseless. Um, and I think that in this, it it's really important that right now we also don't lose contact with the people in Russia, that they are involved in the discussion as well, right? And that they are also appealed to. His most important job right now is keeping up the morale in, in Ukraine and really uniting the country. And I think that's exactly what he's doing. And he's doing it really, really well. Uh, as Vlad said, like the, the country needs, needs a leader right now and he's, he's taking up that position really well. And what I wanted to add is that also the Ukrainian diplomats are doing tremendous work abroad. I know about the Ukrainian ambassador to Germany. What he has done the past few days is impressive. Basically for the last 30 years, it's, it's part of Germany's main principles to never deliver weapons to regions of war and conflict. This ambassador has spoken to all the political parties, to the government. He's been on the news. He has been on TV shows and he has significantly shaped the um, general public's opinion on all these things. And I think that's, that's just super impressive. I'm curious, because we've already kind of talked about it a little bit, what your guys' opinions are about the response from international leaders as a whole. We've been seeing a lot of like military help go to Ukraine. We've been seeing the airspace is closed off, sanctions imposed on Russia. What is your guys' opinions on that? And I'm also curious if you think you would have done anything differently if you were in their shoes. Yeah, I mean, obviously, right now, right now, the help is uh, tremendous. We're getting uh, weapon delivered, ammunition, uh, supplies. Uh, the Russian narrative uh, has been for the last 30 years after the fall of the Soviet Union is that like Ukrainians and Russians are the brother, brother nations. Now we are seeing that uh, indeed uh, Poland is the the Polish people are really the brother nations of ours. Poland was the first one to give uh, one billion dollars in immediate help to Ukrainian National Bank. Uh, Poland was the first one to deliver the ammunition and weapons after the NATO started delivering this. And Poland was all like all this time Poland was on our side, also lobbying for 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 Ukraine against Germany and France. Uh, in the NATO, 
but uh, the general feeling I'm getting is that NATO was just watching if um, if the Putin's plan would work. I think if uh, if they would uh, accomplish any strategic goal that they had on the first day of attack, if they would manage to get Kiev in in one day, as they were saying that they would definitely do. And I think uh, it's most it, it's mostly the achievement of Ukraine that the NATO is now like putting up all the sanctions. I think they've seen that there is hope for Ukraine, and now it's all in against Russia right now. I totally agree, and that's actually also the only thing that makes me really angry, because I remember the first day of the invasion, and there were comments on on German TV by a couple of politicians. Some of them were part of the government, saying yeah, this is going to be like a three-day war, this invasion, it's it's horrible, but Kiev will fall and then it will be over, basically. It only stopped when the Ukrainian ambassador gave a public interview and said, well, that is just not okay to, to give up Ukraine that early. And then the following days, the Ukrainian army really showed that this was perfectly true. And they are doing so much better than any analyst has predicted. And only now that the uh, the Ukrainian army is fighting so well, uh, Europeans are suddenly um, deciding to deliver weapons. And also things like the EU memberships is suddenly up on the agenda. And it really got me thinking, why does Ukraine first have to win a war against Russia before they can join EU? It's just It's just horrible. And I mean also that they are alone in this because, I mean, I understand NATO's position. I, I understand that they don't want to get involved directly out of fear that this would trigger World War Three. basically. I, I think I also wouldn't favor that, but that the Ukrainians were left alone prior to the invasion and on the first two to three days um, should be really embar embarrassing for the other European states. No, I just wanted to jump into this uh, conversation because it's something that really made me extremely angry right at the beginning. Um, so <laughs> generally, I am very favorable to the EU, but I found it really disheartening when when the whole conflict started that the only thing that they could do is just sit around and say, you know, oh, we strongly condemn, we uh, we are extremely concerned and there there was no action for quite a while. And it's not only now, it was also... I don't know, I feel like in the past years, like as Vlad was saying, there's been a conflict going on for so long and there are next neighbors. And I feel like it's only been a bunch of anti-promises and sort of instruments and tools to try to uh, support them somehow, but not any real effort. And I, I found it really, really like a wake up call in this enheartening that it like it really takes a global conflict that where people are really suffering for for this power that calls itself to be like a global actor to actually do something. And it was quite uh, surprising that there was such a strong and fast consensus right from the right from the start, I would say. Uh, but still, like, it took really a crisis, like a big major crisis for for a joint action. And I was a bit shocked by that, I must say. Uh, it really made me think twice, if I must be honest. As young people, as mem members of Gen Z, this is our first time kind of seeing the start of a war that could be what some people are saying, World War III, how you mentioned cons. Um, I'm curious what you guys think about that, like witnessing that, if you also see similar historical ties. Um, 
I, I, I think, I mean, we've had this conversation with a friend of mine um, a few days ago. Um, I mean, it was already, I think, the second or the third day we were like working uh, as hard as possible. Mm -hmm. And he was saying like, I can't imagine going back to a normal life right now. Like we're, in, we're sleeping like two or three hours per day. We're like working, 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 working all the time and like already going back to a normal life. It's, it's pretty hard. I mean, uh, we are also like every one of us are, are the students. And um, yeah, I mean, I still have exams in this month. And I, I have really no idea how I'm going to manage that. But I mean, it's not it's not that important right now. Uh, some some classmates of mine, uh, I mean, I, I, we, we know quite a lot of people of our age who are, who are joining the, the military, uh, who are entering the conflict. Uh, a classmate of a friend of mine has, has died a few days ago. Uh, in your in your Kiev and yeah, uh, this uh, this is uh, this this makes a huge impact obviously and but as as I said I mean the 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 ironical thing about about this this whole situation is that we don't really think about what is gonna be next we just have to um, have to do our job right now like everyone is now on, on his or her place. Uh, um, maybe unwillingly, but uh, I mean that's what we do right now. And like uh, this is also a very good thing, I think, for for Ukraine. We are seeing the real birth of the Ukrainian nation right now. Everyone is sticking together like never before. And um, when we win this war, uh, I, I hope that we we're gonna be able to keep this uh, keep this resilience, keep this unity together. To be very honest, I'm not sure if these historical comparisons make any sense or add anything to the debate because what difference does it make like we see the situation right now and it's bad enough and it's it's bad by itself it's not bad because it is like a second world war it's just bad because ukraine has been attacked and innocent people are dying and i think this should be reason enough mm -hmm. although i i get where these historical comparisons are coming from i think it was especially after putin's speech uh, where he justified the invasion with, well, that Ukraine isn't a nation by itself, that it's in the end Russian people and that they belong to a greater Russian empire. And I mean, that's also how uh, Nazi Germany uh, justified the first invasions. And I think what also remembered uh, the people of, of Second World War was that other major powers at the beginning thought that appeasement would be an option or that there would be that in a way, Russia, after all, would act rationally in, but following the rationality that we guys have in the West, right? Or that our countries have. So we thought, okay, the economic costs will be too big. He'll never do it. But he's clearly not driven by these economic considerations. He's mm -hmm. driven by an ideology. I don't know what has happened to this man. Maybe he really fears that, um, well, after the protests in Belarus and and in Ukraine in 2014, also uh, the democratization of Georgia prior to 2008 and all these things happening, I, I honestly think that he fears that the same thing will happen in Russia. But in the end, I don't know what motivates this guy. Um, and yeah, as I said, I'm also not sure how helpful these historical comparisons are. I, I see where they come from, but yeah, I don't know how they add anything. I agree also because of the role of social media. Like it's really 
hard to disregard like the whole move, like everything that is going on, the information that we're bombarded with all the time and like how that affects also uh, our perception of the situation, but also the developments in, to some extent, right? So I'm also not a huge fan of historical comparisons, if I must be honest, um, because I think, I think that then they lead you to frame things in a way that's a bit different from the reality. And that's dangerous, I think. But um, yeah, beyond that, I think that just it's a very different time we are. Like, we can simply see also the sort of um, attacks are not only on the ground, but right, we're talking also about cybersecurity. We're also talking about many different elements that make it a bit hard and a bit of a different situation. Well, thank you guys, because I feel like, again, just from having my own perspective of, of seeing it from that historical context and then having you guys bring up those points actually does... I think changed my mind a little bit where we are fighting two very different wars, especially in the 21st century. The technology is different. The communication is different. Our capabilities are different. So um, those are all important things to note when we're talking about this. How has your studies in diplomacy um, security influenced your perception of the current situation? Um, and has it changed your views on like foreign relations at all? I have a very ready answer to that just because it's something that really hit me so hard um, and it's actually pretty interesting because I was doing an exam right before the beginning of um, the past week um, and in this exam we had a question and was for, for a negotiation class and the question was to uh, talk about based on the theories that we had learned and the instruments that we had learned to talk about the stalemate of Russia and the West over Ukraine and and so for a couple of days I was immersed into this whole analysis with these instruments and you know like um i don't know like what their positions are but then their interests and their needs and then uh, how how actors should behave what perhaps is driving them um what's the role of their constituencies so these are all the things that i have learned in my studies and that theoretically lead you to read the situation in a certain way and then i think kind of like drawing a bit into what Kant was saying all of a sudden all of these developments happened. And based on what like I was uh, reading or based on my analysis, a diplomatic solution could have been possible just with the instruments I was given. So like, it really made me realize that, yeah, okay, like my studies helped me to an extent, but there was so much more that is simply impossible to take from a textbook or to take from previous practices and just apply to the current situation because it only takes somebody, one single person to say, I totally disregard the economic costs. I, I want to do this. And all of that sort of goes into the bin. And, and it was really like a hard moment for me because I just, I really, until the last moment, I was also texting my friend, you know, they'll de-escalate, they'll de-escalate, you know, I've been reading about this, they'll de-escalate. And then it's not always that easy. It's not always like that. I agree. I think for a lot of Europeans and also for, let's say, well, the more intellectual debates or public debates, um, the past few days have been kind of a comeback of realpolitik and the whole idea of, well, sometimes things aren't that easy. And if there's someone that wants war, what's going to happen? And then you have to react. I mean, also, especially as a German, like the, the past few days have been extremely interesting. Um, I think the magnitude of the changes in German foreign and security policy in the last few days will only become visible in a few years. But if it's true what was said um, yesterday in the parliamentary debate, um, a lot of things will change in Europe. And in a way, it's also scary 
the 100 billion uh, investment in the German military that was decided yesterday, I want to put that into perspective. That's 10 years worth of German investment in research and development in military terms. It's, I think the annual budget is lower than 50 billion. So it's like twice the annual budget at the time. And from now on every year, basically twice the amount that it has been before the crisis. This will change a lot, mm -hmm. um, also in the inner European dynamics, and also that the European Union is standing so closely together. The European Union is investing now for the first time using its budget for mi military equipment. <clears throat> I think also sending jets to Ukraine. All these things were unthinkable two weeks ago. Honestly, it's it's just insane. A lot of things are changing right now, and well. I'm curious to see where it's going, but a friend of mine yesterday told me and, and said, okay, it's, isn't it crazy that we are studying international security at this point of moment? And then the next sentence she said was, uh, well, but I wish so much that our studies would be just completely irrelevant and that no one would care. And that's really how it feels. It's just so interesting hearing you guys' perspectives. <laughs> like that, like just the comparison that your friend made right there, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, wow. Yeah, the fact that we're actually having to put these things that are supposed to be hypothetical or just in case in practice, even within days, like Katarina, you said you had your exam and literally within like that same time of like time, all of this just happened. So it is yeah. crazy how fast things change. I just wanted to add something perhaps that maybe in your studies or in my studies at least doesn't emerge that much because we deal quite a lot with how to handle you know conflict situations and uh, negotiations and conflict resolution but then there's another element that um, perhaps I hadn't considered in all of this and that in these situations it's also really hard and probably that discredits me as a potential future diplomat, but it's really hard to um, distinguish this really political analysis from then the reality of seeing the people there you know when you're studying or like not knowing someone or even just thinking geez uh, the people you know and I think that's another layer that's perhaps in your studies almost never emerges it's really easy to see things so uh, dryly but then when you're in it I mean <laughs> there's 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 another layer and that's that's so hard to dis disregard I, I also want to briefly touch on something or get back to something that I briefly touched on before that about how much has changed in Europe. And I think in a way Putin has already lost this war because what has happened in Europe can't be what he wanted. Um, the European Union has acted so quickly and in so much solidarity and what is going to happen is that the, the EU will unite even more um i've i've seen people saying well in just a few days germany has completely changed all its principles of security policy and foreign policy uh sweden isn't neutral anymore is sending weapons to uh to ukraine switzerland has abolished its status of neutrality basically today by imposing the same sanctions on russia that the eu is imposing so all these things are actually a way bigger security threat to Russia than what Putin declared as a security threat prior to the invasion. I mean, after the speech, I honestly doubt if it was ever security concern, concerns from the Russian side. I don't even think that's true. I think it was probably just justification 
for the troop mo movements prior to the invasion. Yeah, if you look at it at it this way, Putin has already lost in in some regards, and now well, we hope that also uh, Ukraine will be able to defend itself. And yeah, one thing is for sure: the whole security order in Europe won't be like it was before. And um, well, it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to get out of this. I just hope that we'll move forward and that we won't be stuck in a stalemate once again, once the situation de-escalates a bit. Like, fingers crossed for that, that we that real changes come along. I'm curious what you guys think the future of like foreign relations will look like with us current people in charge? I don't have an answer to that, but I do have an answer to what we are doing now and what I think is really, really crucial and really important. Um, and that is, I think we have experienced quite a lot in the past years, and it's not only in this situation, but also in several other protest moments, like be it for the climate, be it for what happened with uh, uh, Navalny just not that long ago. Uh, we have experienced that there is there there is a potential for a very very strong connection among people across borders, and that raising voices might not solve the problem, but it is a very very powerful tool. At least I see it so, and I and I think it's really important even in these moments to just you know simply show solidarity, simply show that things are not being unheard. Um, and I think this is part also of what we're doing now, just keeping the dialogue going, but also just you know, raising voices. And I think that now we have the tools to do that in a very, very efficient way and to reach very far away because we have the social media and we have young people who now more than ever are, like, I just feel that I was very, this. I, I really didn't think this was so, but then I realized that, you know, we have young people who read the news, who are engaged, who are willing to just stand outside the whole day. And I've seen that with my classmates, like less. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday like and Friday everybody was standing outside the Russian embassy the whole day in the wind in the hail like the weather here in the Netherlands is horrible at the moment but there is this sense of solidarity and the sense of really like a, a strong connection between people across the board and I think this is something super precious and I hope that we will be able to bring this to to whatever level of government or like leadership we will ever have, you know, because we we are kids of an interconnected world and I hope that we will be able to make the best out of this interconnected world. And I think none of us will ever forget this, this situation and it's, it's a horrible wake up call. Um, everyone kind of took peace in Europe for granted and now we know it's not. And after all, I hope it will bring Europeans closer together. And I hope that those people that, well, are now alive, are now young, um, will remember that for the next 40 years, basically 40, 60 years, we'll all end up working. Uh, many of the people that are in British Europe um, want to work in the public sector someday. So who knows, maybe some of the people that are now member of, members of British Europe will be decision makers one day, then they'll remember the situation and also the situation right before the war where everyone still was so sure that we can de-escalate and that we just have to be patient and understanding for the Russian perspective. But this was really a reality check. Um, if you have someone that isn't interested at all in diplomacy and in understanding each other, 
well, then sometimes diplomacy can be brutally ineffective in a way, which is horrible to witness, but um, in a way, an important lesson, I guess. I want to thank you guys um, for hopping on here and answering all of my questions. I really appreciate um, hearing your perspectives and your feedback because it also helps me better understand and kind of figure out what I think about all of this as well, because there's just so much information happening. It's, it's a lot to take in.